how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Filmmaker Peter Kuhnhart chronicles the last few years of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life and portrays a conflicted leader who, after the Voting Rights Act passed in 1965, faced an onslaught of criticism from both sides of the political spectrum. Thanks to new conversations with his inner circle of friends, the film unearths a stirring new perspective into Dr. King's character, his radical doctrine of nonviolence, and his internal philosophical struggles prior to his assassination in 1968. In this interview, we speak with Trey Ellis. Trey Ellis is the EP of the film, and he's also an American Book Award-winning novelist, Peabody-winning and Emmy-nominated screenwriter, playwright and associate professor of screenwriting in the Graduate School of Film at Columbia University. One of Mr. Ellis's first screenplays, The Inkwell, was sold to Touchstone and produced. He was nominated for an Emmy for writing the HBO film The Tuskegee Airmen, starring Lawrence Fishburne and Cuba Gooding Jr. The film went on to win a Peabody and several NAACP Image Awards. Peter Coonhart has made a lot of different documentaries, and I've known um, Henry, Professor Henry Louis Gates from Harvard for years, and they were looking for someone to help do some interviews. Um, and I said, oh, I'd be happy. To. I've never worked on, you know, uh, on a feature-length documentary like this before. So I just sort of said yes, thinking, you know, that it would just be a couple of weeks of work. Um, but as soon as I dove in and started doing that and had the privilege of talking with these great heroes of mine, um, I just, it really changed my life. And it's changed, of course, my life. I'm actually working with them on a second documentary uh, that we're just about to start right now. Um, so this, you know, sort of shift for me into documentaries through this King project has been um, uh, extraordinary. But but for me, what I think is interesting is that um, storytelling is storytelling. So I teach and I write movies and write books and plays, um, and they're all kind of similar in that there's a beginning, middle, and end, and we're telling good stories, whether they're fiction or nonfiction. So I think that what I bring to this to the to the to Cunard films is uh, just my sense of narrative storytelling. Were you the main interviewer? Or were there other people doing interviews as well? Um, the great, you know, uh, Taylor Branch, the great historian, he interviewed uh, Harry Belafonte and Andrew Young and Reverend C.T. Vivian, and then uh, 
I had the pleasure of interviewing everybody else. This may be a question for the director, but a lot of our listeners might be writers or novice filmmakers. So it sounds like you started with the interview process. Did you guys sit in the room together and come up with questions, or how did that work? And then how did you decide to do you know, old footage and B-roll and the archives and things like that? Right. Well, I mean, as an executive producer, I was, I was dealt with all those areas as well. But uh, the, so documentaries often have a writer. In this case, we had the really brilliant Chris Schwang, uh, C-H-U-A-N-G. And um, so he would uh, think about, you know, what kind of archival footage, what kind of uh, questions to ask, um, and do a lot of the research and help shape the initial story. Uh, we go in and do these interviews while this amazing Jill Cowan is our researcher, found a lot of never-before-seen footage. Um, and we'd see, you know, and then Peter would look at all that and put it all together and figure out how to blend it all together. Um, for me, what's so fun about documentary filmmaking as opposed to feature filmmaking is that the story, you don't really know the story you're telling until you've got, you know, that you've got your interviews and, and you got enough stuff. The story suggests this stuff. You can go in with an idea of what the story might be, but the, um, but I think you have to be open to those happy accidents. And like one of those happy accidents for us or surprises was, you know, the, like how irreverent the Reverend was, how, how funny he was, how depressed he was, um, how, uh, just how they really just, you know, the, the personal stories, uh, from they were from the from the interviewees were so giving. They, I think they gave an amazing portrait of a real human being, and to sort of to turn someone like Martin Luther King, who seems uh, like he's you know just a, a, was born a statue, you know, um, uh, the, you know with 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 Lincoln and 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 Washington, uh, to turn that kind of person into really f- real flesh and blood, pool playing, struggling with you know uh, occasional cigarette. Uh, I think uh, it was just extraordinary. Yeah, I definitely noticed that probably the most. There are parts where he's, it feels like he knows he won't live past 50 because of what he's doing. There are other parts where he's joking with people. Did you did you have a favorite part or anything about King's humor that was captured in the film? Yeah, I mean, I loved how he just would just beat up on, on poor Andy Young. And just, you know, and he would, uh, just that the relationship with these, this like this buddy comedy between these two guys. You know, it was just amazing, and then to see Andrew, Andrew Young now, you know, old, um, but it's just it was just incredible. Um, the 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 when he, people talk about how he could mimic so well, you know, um, and how he, uh, you know, Dorothy Cotton would say that he, without saying a word, he'd be he'd hold the most power in the room. So I think there's there are a lot of favorite moments, but um, I think all they all add up to like a real sense of of a person. You feel like after watching the film, oh my god, I know this guy, and he's wonderful. So the film highlights some things that we haven't really seen before, um, specifically or, or to some degree. There's a lot of films about his his early days, I guess you'd say, and then the shooting, of course. But this one this one's more about it seems like the criticism of the Black Power movement. Um, as he went to talk about issues like workers' rights, things like that. Why do you think there was um, this additional or this different type of confrontation when he wanted to speak about Vietnam, for example? Yeah, well, I think that was so interesting. I, I think that when, you know, we, we, it's easy to say, what would he be doing today had he lived? And then when, we, when you watch this film, you realize, oh, he lived for three years after all of his 
his major achievements. So he will tell you this. You don't have to guess what what he would have done had he lived. He would have fought for peace. He would have fought for equality for uh, for um, equality. He would have fought for uh, economic justice uh, because those are the things that he did while he was alive. So I think that um, that's what's so I think interesting and crucial about this documentary is that he. You don't have to guess about where he, where, where he would stand on the issues of today because he was quite explicit about them at the time, just that nobody wanted to listen. And that's why it's called King of the Wilderness. People wanted to hear him, especially Northerners, white Northerners especially, wanted to hear about um, him talking about problems in the South. But when he brought those same issues up into inequality in the North, um, the media turned really pretty vicious to him. It seemed really shocking. Like I'm, I'm a Southerner. I've known more about the, the South issues with something like this. Um, but I was really surprised to see the parts in Chicago and the numbers of protests that were there. Can you talk a little bit about those scenes? Yeah, the Chicago mo- mo- movements, and you know, uh, Andy Young is so great about talking about that. How the the you know they talk about how in the South, um, the you kind of would know that if there's a Klan rally and there would be a minority of the people and. Um, you know, it felt like a minority of that community was coming out uh, to hate. Uh, but when they moved north to Cicero, Illinois, and these these big marches, like the the the, it felt like the entire neighborhoods were just flooding the streets of of angry white people yelling and screaming, um, and that was quite shocking. And uh, the, the country didn't really know how to deal with that. So you've contributed uh, humor and political pieces to various outlets, such as the New York Times, GQ, NPR, and the Washington Post. Um, was there a conscious decision to leave this film where it is versus bringing in some of those new political issues that are happening today? Yeah, I get, we're feeling, you know, we think about like the work of William Barber and the, the new Poor People's March that they are, that he's planning. There's a lot of amazing, there are a lot of amazing things happening right now. Um, and uh, there'll be other great documentaries about that. I think um, this, you, you know, in, in two hours, we can only tell, uh, I think you have to figure out what stories you can tell when you're telling your story. And this is the story. This, this is, uh, this is the room we had to tell the story. And I think to rewrite and really trying to rewrite history about the misconceptions about Dr. King takes at least two hours. Uh, there's a lot that we couldn't put in there. But so I think that, um, we did what we, you know. I think that there, there was a conscious decision to say, "This is this is him and in the past," and then um, you draw your own conclusions about the about the present, and then, or do the look to the next documentary to talk about the BLM movement and William Barber and and the you know the, the children that just went out a couple of days ago. Um, when, you know, depending on when you you know uh, the Parkland. Um, uh, school massacres and the, and the, the children's uh, anti-gun or you know sensible gun law movement. Um, these things are all direct. Uh, uh, they can all point to the work of Dr. King and the nonviolent protests of the civil rights movement as their uh, antecedents. So I want to kind of take a step back. You've answered several of my questions kind of in other questions, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background and how you got started. I know you worked on the film uh, Tuskegee Airmen. What other uh, films or books within the civil rights movement have you worked on that kind of led to you being asked to work on this film? Yeah, I had, you know, know, I've read a lot of historical feature films and, um, 
and contemporary films as well. And I do, it's true, I do write a lot of comedy and a lot of political um, comedy as well. And, uh, but this, uh, you know, was all new to me. I was just, um, uh, you know, I'd written, I'd written, wrote a lot of politics for the Huffington Post. Um, but the, um, but the idea of diving this deep into nonfiction history was all new for me and really has, uh, was, it's like a new career, uh, uh, you know, stream, um, that's just been super rewarding. In fact, um, you know, with the Kunarts, we're working on another documentary now about, um, about some, uh, about more modern movements that we were talking about. Can you talk a little bit more about your uh, research phase, either for this film or your previous work? Have you done these types of interviews before, or, or possibly just not to this extent? Uh, I've never done it. You know, this, I've never done these kind of documentaries before. But um, and we had, you know, we had a, a team of, you know, it's just really a team effort of this team of researchers, and um, and and the writer of of the piece, uh, sort of getting the structure together. Uh, then when I, the way I approach the interviews, when I get to the interviews, I figure, what are the things that we have to get as the interview for our preconceived notion of what we think that the film is going to be? But then the most interesting part is, you know, by the second hour or so, when they trust me um, and feel that they can, you know, give, start to give sort of more answers and stories that maybe they've never given before. Um, and sort of, and to find those sort of real personal moments, of, in this case, of Dr. King's life, I think really are some of the some of the some of my favorite moments. Do you remember some of those other, like your thoughts before you went to the interview? Do you remember kind of those preconceived notions you had that were changed, what you were originally thinking? Um, well, the, the the preconceived notions were more about like covering history, like okay, we're going to cover the Vietnam, you know, his his. Oh, for example, here's we. I thought. Oh, he took a long time to come again, come out against the Vietnam War, and he was just being um, timid about that. And then you realize from with, with Taylor Branch's research that he had come out against it uh, in other times before the Riverside Church speech, but that people just re- hadn't really noticed, and that Coretta King had been out against the war years before. So. Um, so we have that in the documentary. So it's, it's you know, it's some of the sort of the simple sort of middle school versions of, of Dr. King's history. Uh, that I think maybe we had a, a little, some of those misconceptions ourselves when we entered the story by talking to the people and, and consulting with Taylor Branch. Um, we realized that we were wrong. That the life was more complicated. So towards the end of the film, there are some interviews that are kind of just hoping that, they want to keep the the movement going forward. Can you talk about your perspective as, as an interviewer or producer on this film? What you hope the film brings brings to audiences? You know, the sad part was Andy Young just says, you know, we couldn't keep it together. He, the band of the, the the personalities of Jesse Jackson and Andrew Young and all the rest of them together, they were all, you know, once Dr. King died, the, their movement and the sort of the importance of the SCLC really withered pretty quickly. Um, I, but but I, I think that so there's that moment of sadness towards the end. But I think then after that, well, I think people will leave with this kind of hope because of there's so much organizing going on now from the women's march to the students' march um, to the you know the cities banding together to uh, to protest uh, the federal government cracking down on sanctuary cities. 
I mean, there's a lot to do today. So I think that the film, what's so nice about the film, it's so contemporary about this film is that we don't have to wish that we lived in a time where we could fight for change. There's plenty to do right now. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook, How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.